Hi, I'm Brad Solomons, and this is my first draft. Hi again, and welcome to the fourth episode of My First Draft. Where were we? Okay, so... My name is Brad, and I've been writing a novel. And, well, I don't know who you are, but you're apparently listening to me read that novel. Thanks for that, by the way. You're listening as I edit it, reading it aloud, because, as someone told me this week, that's a great way to edit anything, and a tool of the trade. And I'm doing this all in the direction of getting those words ready to publish. Hopefully. This is me going through the whole thing, line by line, trying to sort out if all those words I wrote add up to something that resembles a story. And I do think it's close. But... Like all first drafts, it needs some work. Now, if you haven't listened to the other episodes, well, that's kind of like skipping the first 15 pages of the novel and then wondering why nothing else makes sense. So go ahead, listen, catch up, and I'll be here waiting. Okay? You're all caught up? Good. Let's keep going. I wrote the first chunk of this book as part of that annual November novel writing challenge. It's a worldwide event meant for authors to pen 50,000 words in 30 days. Besides that the organization running it had a bit of controversy this year, and I won't get into that because this isn't that kind of podcast, the month was very successful for me. I wrote most of a novel, after all. Now, I tell you all this because if you're going to write a book in a month, you need to plan it out very carefully. And I really did. But I also planned around that month, giving myself a structure that worked in the cadence of the month itself. So I broke out my structure of my planned 50,000 words into 50 scenes, aiming for 1,000 words each. And I always seemed to hit my target, and usually wrote much more than the 1,000 word average I was aiming for. So all that said, you'll notice as I work through this scene by scene, that the story is very episodic in nature. It isn't a, then this happened, then this happened, and then this happened sort of narrative. And that's because of the November novel challenge and the planning I did around it. It's more of a now, let's see what these people are up to, and now let's see what these people are doing kind of story. So that brings us back to the Let's see what Ian is up to part of the story in our fourth scene of this book. Ian, as we last left him, was busy passing out on a mountain trail. And if you're looking for a bit of closure about what happened to him, how he got off that mountain and all that jazz, I've got some good news and I've got some less good news. Ian doesn't know either. Ian is looking for closure too because he's waking up for a second time, but this time he's a little fuzzy about something new, like how he got to a hospital. Although he's got a visitor to help him work through it this time. Let's jump in. Ian Gage sees the silhouette of a woman standing to the side of his bed, arms crossed and boxed squarely in the distinctive but blurry outline of a nursing scrub uniform. Soft streaks of glinting afternoon sunlight pierce between the curtains and illuminate motes of dust in the air. The beams splash across his legs and dance on the antiseptic green walls of what is maybe a hospital room, he thinks. An electronic chime sounds somewhere in a distant yet nearby place. The echoes of chattering voices, whirring compressor engines, and mechanical ventilation fill his brain like a dreamy clutter of sensations. They are intangible against a span of time he cannot quite measure. And as his reality gels and his focus settles, he sees that a bob of ginger hair frames her face. When his vision fully, finally catches up to the rest of his brain, Emerging from the fog of a medicated sleep, he recognizes her. He recognizes her eyes first, her lips, her nose, and then he recognizes her everything all at once. Tia? His voice is as raspy as when he last remembers using it, 
there laying on the forest floor. You're awake, she says. I mean, obviously, obviously you're awake. Damn it, Ian, I haven't seen you in two years and then you go showing up here. God, I mean, well, look at you. He tries to sit up. He cannot. Tubes and cables pin him to the bed and... Oh, right, the pain. There it is. The pain that is now a pulsing, aching weakness as much as anything sharper. Something has dulled it into submission, but only just barely. Something has pushed it into the background. Something. Whatever mixture of fluids are flowing through those plastic hoses and steel needles jabbed into his arm shelves the pain into a later problem. Tia, you're... you're my nurse? What an amazing coincidence. Ian Gage, I didn't expect to see you when I came into work today, that's for sure. Tia Clay sighs shaking her head as if scolding a red-handed kid fresh cut off the crime. Ian, God, the famous Ian Gage. I watched your channel, you know. Are, are you my nurse? He asks again, the strength returning to his voice with every syllable, though his voice is not yet strong enough to be anything but a tired gasp, barely recognized as an actual word. Tia waves him off. I haven't seen you in two years, but when I saw your name on the daily sheets, God, Ian, I didn't mean to be here when you woke up. Really, I was just passing by to see if it was actually you here. I just thought, you know, I thought I'd make sure. Ian would have been happy right then to let her fill the space with words. He would have been happy to press back into the pillow and let the haziness overcome him again. Happy to let the jumble of memories between then and now and here and there and everything that he seemed to have lost in the gap between of what was nothing more than a dreamy, painful recollection of the forest floor. Also the run, the woods, the taste of blood now gone from his lips and the sunlight crashing through the trees and then suddenly, now, here, why? Waking up with his ex-girlfriend standing beside his hospital bed? How is it that she was playing nurse to him here, caught helplessly in a medicated tangle of plastic tubes and starchy bedsheets and also still a wild, animalistic hurt, lurking, hunting, hiding somewhere just out of sight. A pain that was ready to pounce on him and gnaw his arm to a bloody pulp. I'm sorry, he tries. Damn it, Ian. She doesn't let him speak any more than he can muddle the words across his lips. Lips that he realizes only just now are swollen and patched with at least one stitch tugging at the corner of his mouth. Just stop. Stop trying to talk. She shakes her head, and she is in full focus now, her familiar features considerably unchanged in the two years since he'd last seen her. Those features, her round nose and the pinch in her mouth and the thick red hair, features that he remembers as clearly in his memory as he can see her now. Her hazel eyes and soft cheeks. It works now in haphazard coordination to hide the fact that she's been crying. I'm not upset. I'm, I'm not. Not like that. Really, it's just, just that I saw your name and I'm not even your nurse, damn it. Look at me sitting here at the side of your bed overthinking everything and ian reaches out with his good arm he touches her fingertips with a light brush of his own i'm glad you're here he is trying to smile but unsure of his success given the state of his mouth really he adds words flowing easier and easier with every attempt i'm not your nurse she repeats i well i saw your name and i know you don't have any family in town and damn it i i watch your show online stupid me and you never mentioned a girlfriend or anything so i assumed thought Maybe, I thought maybe someone should check on you, but after everything, I mean, don't read into it. Don't you go overthinking it. I mean, just, I just wanted to. It's great, he says and pauses to catch his breath.
Hi, it's me again, interrupting the story like I always seem to do. I wanted to say that I don't think every story needs a romantic twist, but the sudden appearance of Ian's ex-girlfriend back into his life, right in the middle of a crisis, is neither an inconsequential nor a random choice. Now, I've been following and chatting with a lot of other writers on social media these last months, and I think writing gritty romance is a zone in which many people are deeply invested and highly talented. It's not necessarily my jam, but... I also know that love and romance are huge pieces of interpersonal relationships, and they are strong emotions that can be driving forces in how and why people make sometimes, let's call them, irrational choices. I guess that's my way of saying, here are two average, smart people living average and productive lives, and by twisting them together in a will-they-won't-they they relationship is my way of setting them down a course that might not always seem like the smartest one. If there's anything I've learned in my life, it's that love, or the pursuit of what we often think of as love, can make us do silly things. And now you've met the last of my main cast, Tia Clay. She works at the hospital and stumbles, cautiously, on her ex-boyfriend admitted into post-op after a freak accident in the woods, and curiosity has got the better of her. Does she just take a peek to make sure it's him? To make sure he's okay? To... Look, I live in a house where I'm the only guy. I'm married with a teen daughter. We've had lots of discussion about things like feminism and gender roles and what it all means in the 21st century. I watched the Barbie movie last summer. I've studied the Bechdel effect. Heck, I'm the stay-at-home guy writing a book while my wife works a corporate job. But, surprise, I'm also a middle-aged man who's got his own emotional and romantic baggage. So writing a strong female character might be my goal, but it doesn't necessarily make it my result. It's not my wheelhouse, but I'm trying because every character I write simply can't be another middle-aged man. So admittedly, Tia, I think, is going to be one of the toughest characters for me to write. Remember how in episode 3 I talked about how fun and easy it was to write the bad guy, Sigmund Furio? Well, Tia has been the opposite. I can let Furio be a bit of a caricature, but I really want Tia to be more three-dimensional, to drive the story, to make independent choices that shape how things work out, and be more than just Ian's ex. My approach as the story progresses is, I think I've written Tia so that she wants all that too. But for now, let's just see how these two fumble through an awkward reacquaintance in the hospital. I appreciate it. He finishes and bites back the thoughts that would admit the truth in almost everything she had said. If Tia had not been here... Had Tia not been standing at his bedside, then who, he thinks. He is not sure that anyone else would have bothered. A million subscribers. And Tia, his ex-girlfriend, is who is at his bedside. What a sorry state he had to admit he lived in, and now waking up in a hospital bed with nothing but a jumble of memories. Running, misty trails, squirrels, a stick of wood protruding from his arm. A voice. Was he dreaming some of it? What happened? I mean, all of this, I don't... He bites off each word with effort, swallowing a dry scrape down his throat between thoughts. I don't seem to remember much. Tia lifts a small blue cup with ice-cold water and a plastic straw to his lips. She makes him take a slow sip. I don't actually know much, she says. Let's see, you came in by ambulance? Emergency response? Someone found you up at the trailhead on Mount Karazun in the parking lot. You were just... God, Ian, you were just laying there bleeding and unconscious. I was running, he replies. There might have been someone else up there. I 
remember someone asking if I was okay. Maybe. I mean, no one knows anything. You were on the ground, alone. Your arm was covered in blood. God, Ian, you must have tripped and stabbed yourself on a branch or something. I don't... I can't recall how I got off the trail. I was deep in the forest, chasing the sunrise. I remember seeing the creek and the... There was someone else there. I'm sure. I remember someone, but that doesn't make sense. The memories that he can pick from the roiling turbulence of his brain are fuzzy and lack substance, like mist through his fingers, and in the rest of the space there is nothing. Only that. Space. Gaps. Nothing. Well, anyways, you must have been close enough to the parking lot to crawl out and call for help, she says. Yeah. Maybe. It hurts. Trying to remember is physically painful. Maybe. It's just that. We'll sort it out later, okay? God, Ian, I mean, I'll come by again if you want. Ian can't tell if she's playing nurse or something else. She tucks the sheets up to recover his chest and adjusts the plastic tubes towards the side of his bed. I don't mind. I mean, I want to. If... Well, I don't want to assume anything. I mean, I don't want to imply that I like that. He says and nods as best as he can manage, interrupting her. She smiles and reaches to pat the back of his hand before she turns to leave. Ian watches the door for a long time, but eventually feels the fog creep back over his eyes and the focus slip and sleep overcomes him again. And scene. And that was the fourth episode. Ian, Tia, Hospital, Sparks, Mystery... To recap, let's walk through the two goals I originally put in place for this part of the story. The goals I wrote myself, even before I wrote a word of this scene months and months ago. Now, remember how I mentioned that when I planned out all the scenes of this book, I plotted it out in 50 episodic segments? Well, along with that, I plotted out the big story beats, trying to avoid scenes that were pure description or boring old exposition, and rather creating events that were meant to drive the story forward while incrementally fleshing out the characters and the suspense. First, incrementally, I was trying to deepen the mystery of Mount Karazun itself. In each scene so far, we have seen something a bit interesting about that place. Ian had an accident up there. Andy and Craig are doing research up there. Furio is trying to build condos up there. And now Ian was also apparently rescued up there, though he has no memory of it. Karazun is an odd place after all, as Andy told Craig a couple scenes back. Maybe she's on to something. Second, obviously, there was the introduction of the romantic subplot, and my final main character, Ian Gage and Tia Clay, are connected by chance after two years apart. They seem to have been an item at some point, and presumably broke up. Now he's gone off since then and become an internet star, a videographer, and an online adventure sports influencer. Their lives diverted, but their threads woven, or maybe tangled back together, as the story begins. What does all that mean? Well, these are not two fresh lovebirds or a meet-cute, but rather a couple with a history, and that's not an accidental setup. So, two plot points. Did I meet my goals? Fleshing out the characters? Deepening the mystery? I hope so, and I think so. And I will add that writing and thinking about these things, talking about them in the format of a podcast, even as I read my story aloud, is really, honestly, helping me hone and edit the text itself. All this is a kind of critical analysis of my own work. A deep read through my first draft. And even though it's tricky to look at your own stuff, all well you, the listener, get to peek behind the curtain and watch me work on it, seeing it myself through a new lens, I'm already noting the benefit. Do you agree? Or am I missing out on something obvious? Either way, why not come find me on social media? 
or via my website if you have any thoughts or ideas of what you've heard. I'm all linked up in the show notes. And I'll see you in part five. Thanks for listening. This has been a Squetchy Co. production. Visit me at squetchy.art.com.